the blue line, leaves it, Kale McCarr, winds, fires, SCORE! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net, what a save made by Philip Grubauer, just outstanding stuff, I am Grubauer! And Zdorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. Presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am your host, J.J. Jerez. With me, of course, is Arif Dean. We told you we'd come back today to be... I guess we were supposed to do it Tuesday, weren't we? Today's Wednesday. We have to kind of review that award show. I mean, there's a lot to say, especially around Avalanche Land. There's a lot uh, surrounding that in the award show. So let's just get into that first and foremost, Arif. First, you know, it was just a bunch of Zoom calls. I kind of want to know how you kept your focus throughout a show like that. And secondly, I just want your honest um, critique of the award show and the way it was ran this year. I think it was fine. And that might not be an, you know, an opinion that's very popular. But I just think considering the times, considering what everything is happening around the world, we don't have to go into it. And the fact that they're playing in a bubble in Edmonton, Alberta. And we're just trying to rush through the season and get it over with. And I think once that cup is awarded next week, Gary Bettman, Bill Daly, the NHLPA, everybody can sort of exhale and say, we did it. But despite all of that, the NHL did not want to have to announce the five main awards the way that they did with the rest. Like when Nathan McKinnon won the uh, uh, the Lady Bing and the Selkie was awarded to Couturier and the Jack Adams to Cassidy, et cetera, so on and so forth. Um they wanted to be able to put together something where it can at least be a little bit more than just a tweet saying breaking news, Cassidy is your coach of the year. And they made it as simple and straightforward as possible. Here's our here's our Calder Trophy finalists. Here's the winner announced by Wayne Gretzky. Here's the winner announced by Paul Coffey. I like the touch that they had where they brought in those Edmonton Oilers legends uh, the biggest names in hockey that we grew up around, obviously because this entire thing is being hosted in Edmonton, so why not? So I just think it was a really, really cool, uh, it was a nice little touch. I'm not going to sit here and say it was a cool show or it was anything entertaining, but it was a nice little touch. It was cool to have Kale McCarr sort of on there giving the PR stance of his responses and then was able to talk to media afterward and give his more precise responses to media you know to professional hockey writers that are asking more precise questions so i'm not going to poo-poo the show that's the last thing on the nhl's mind during all of this and the last thing i want to do after the nhl gave us playoff hockey and something to watch in august and september is to say you ruined my award show (laughs) obviously you know they're making the best of what they have you know they're exactly chicken salad out of chicken feathers I like that phrase. I heard it recently. I said, I have to use that on the podcast. So here it is. But um, it took you three minutes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just, you know, in my opinion, why even bother? I don't really think too many people watched it, but you got to do something. And, you know, I guess I guess I'm fine with it. I didn't watch it. I I just didn't want to see a bunch of Zoom calls. And from the clips of what I saw, it just seemed a little bit boring. But uh, again, you know, you got to work with what you got right now. But 
Let's get to Look, the real man, topic. Oh, go b- ahead. B- before we change the subject, every single year, all people do is bash the award show. No matter what the NHL does, no matter if they take it to Vegas, take it to Toronto, bring in comedians, bring in Matthew friggin' Perry from Fens. Yeah. Chandler Bing literally announced an award once. People still complained. Uh, they brought in a magician. He kind of screwed up Kopitar's award a couple of years ago. That was hilarious and very cringeworthy. But... No one really likes the award show anyway. No one really cares to watch it. The NHL just wanted to give these guys a moment, and Kale McCarr got his moment. I mean, what cooler moment can you have? Yeah, you weren't on a stage in Vegas wearing a nice suit with your family in the stands and being able to get up and get and get your name announced and walk down a red carpet like you just won in Oscars. You lose that effect. But imagine being Kale McCarr and having Wayne Gretzky announce that you just won the Rookie of the Year. Like That's a cool feeling for a 21-year-old kid who we have to remember is a 21 year old kid that grew up a hockey fan and still has those moments where it's like, wow, that was surreal. Even though he's Kale McCarr and to us, he's surreal. There's still moments that can really make him feel starstruck. That was one of those moments. So it was fine. Like there was nothing wrong with it. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's an okay consolation, like the Wayne Gretzky and, and, you know, just doing their best with, with what they've got. And like you said, if people are going to hate it anyway, then this is a pretty cost-effective way to do an award show. You know, this was cheap, and, you know, you're going to get the same reviews either way. So it, it got, the, got the point across. Things got done. But, yeah, let's get right into Kale McCarr winning that Calder. He won it by a landslide, um, 116 to 53, really. It was just him versus Quinn Hughes, more or less. So I think that's pretty surprising, the fact that he won by such a landslide. Not that he won. We knew he was going to win. I knew he was going to win. But the fact that he won by such a disparity, I mean, I thought, you know, I thought he would be a lot more overlooked than that. I kind of had this feeling. I, I kept going back and forth on this, and I said it the other day when we recorded. I said, Kale McCarr is going to win this award. But I kept going back and forth on two things. I said either the contingency of voters in Vancouver is going and, and in the western side of Canada is going to skew the results a little bit and make it closer than it should be, or that's not going to be a factor because Kale McCarr is pretty much a Canadian legend. He won World Juniors with Canada, and he's very much a popular player in Canada and around the ranks over there. And the fact that he is, um, I thought that that was going to trump the canadian voters and the and the western canada uh voters and the contingency of voters on that side of the country so put it this way he won 116 to 53 in the last first place vote i think went to adam fox which was weird um out of the 170 voters but i can't help but think if quinn hughes played in denver and kale mccarr played in vancouver it would have probably been like 140 to 30 Kale McCarr would have had a lot more voters if he was the Canadian kid playing on the Canadian team. And I know we always hammer away at this and we sit there and East Coast bias and Canadian bias. I'll be the first person to admit as a Canadian who is Canada hockey all the way and will always cheer for Canada in every single World Cup, World Juniors and everything like that, Olympics, everything like that. I am Canadian through and through and even I will admit that that bias does exist. I'm not just some, you know, we're not just two crummy Americans sitting here complaining about the Canadian bias. It truly does exist. If McCarr and Hughes were on other teams, if if Hughes was in Denver and McCarr was in Vancouver, it would have been a bigger landslide. But this just goes to show how much better a player McCarr is. and, And, you know, that's not to take anything away from Hughes, but the kid is dominant, man. He's a great player, and the Avalanche are lucky to have him. I want to throw out another hypothetical in there. And what I love about this, I mean, we've seen Calders here in Colorado before, but you got to love the fact that he is a defenseman winning the Calder. I'm curious if there was a more potent forward out there, you know, um, 
Capo Caco, for example, had a much bigger year or something like that if it would have been skewed closer to the forward. But it's nice that he was really just up against another defenseman, and, and you, you love to see a defenseman, especially this kind, the new, in air quotes, the modern-style defenseman winning a, a Calder and getting the respect he deserves. I mean, we, we knew it. We saw every night how amazing he is, but um, it's good to see that the rest of the, the NHL is seeing that too and taking note. So I, I think it's cool that you mentioned that because I was actually going to mention this at some point during the podcast because that's definitely something I thought about. I said if if Jack Hughes, not Quinn, but if Jack Hughes or Kapokako or someone came out and scored 25 to 30 goals, 25 to 30 assists, put up 50 to 60 points, would they have won over this defenseman that had 50 points in 57 games or Quinn Hughes who had 53 points in 68 games, I believe it was. And then I sat back and I said probably not because – when you look at the 2010 voting, you had Matt Duchesne with 54 points. You had John Tavares with 54 points. And then you had Tyler Miles, who, Tyler Myers, who had like 50 or 51 or something like that. And John Tavares wasn't even in the final three of voting. Number one was Myers. Number two was Jimmy Howard, everybody's favorite third string goalie. Let's bring him to Denver. <laughs> and your third place vote was Matt Duchesne. So Duchesne had more points than Tyler Myers, but Myers still won it. If it was something where Capococco came out and had a Patrick Line rookie year, 40 goals and 65 points, yeah, he probably would have beat the defenseman. But, you know, to just have another guy doing, you know, what McKinnon did, 28 goals and 63 points, I still think that McCarr would have beaten somebody who put up McKinnon's points from 2014. And somewhat out of left field was the fact that he actually received a handful of Norris votes. Yeah, they were pretty deep, like fifth and sixth choice, but still just the fact that he's getting his name out there. It's like when you have a new coach, right? And sometimes teams just interview a coach just to get his name out there and to have other teams, you know, catch their attention and say, oh, this guy's this guy must be pretty worthy if X team is starting to interview him. It's kind of the same idea, I think. The fact that his name's already floating out there, we should definitely expect already next season to have him have a much higher Norris uh, contingency, I guess, if that's even the right word. So, Kel McCarr had 50 points in 57 games. When And I mentioned this on a podcast a month ago. When you add playoff games and you add, you know, all the way up to Game 7 against Dallas and you add the 2019 playoff run, Kale McCarr, between playoffs and regular season, has played 82 games in an Avalanche uniform. He has 71 points. Think about that. He's still not killing penalties. He will be eventually. Maybe not next year, but he will be eventually. He'll eventually be a well-rounded Duncan Keith, Scott Niedermeyer, but he had 71 points. I like that he mentioned in his press conference when he spoke to us media members afterward, he said, I'm going to spend my summer focusing on training and uh, focusing on injury prevention and making sure that I'm able to play in abbreviated season or 82 games and not break down and not get hurt. If Kale McCarr goes out there next year and puts up 65, 70 points, and that's a very big number, it doesn't even have to be that high. Well, that's assuming there's an 82 game regular season, which, you know, that's boring uh, hypothetical conversations we can have when there's no hockey happening. Um, so we won't get into that now. But assuming it's an 82-game season, Kel McCarr comes out and puts up 65 to 70 points. He's going to finish top five in Norris voting, if not top three, and if not, you know, the guy that wins it all. It starts from now. I think Quinn Hughes is going to take a couple years to get into that picture, but McCarr, seeing how he came in in 2019 and made that impression instantly, I think he's in it 
already and next year he's going to fly way up the charts yeah you you push a lot of emphasis on his offensive side talking about points 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 but we can't forget just how strong he is defensively that's what makes him such a great player yeah. you, you you did say he was well-rounded um and you know that's what i love most yeah it's great to see what he does offensively but you expect i think maybe because we're trained from the tyson berry years you expect an offensive defenseman to have quite a few holes on the defensive side well i just don't see that many he's he's really smart he may be a little bit undersized, but he knows how to use, um, you know, his wits to, to combat that. So I love what he has. Um, I can't wait to see him win Norris trophies and more than likely more uh, Norris trophies than Quinn Hughes, I'm betting. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I if, love this battle. Sorry, I love this battle that suddenly ensued. It's like a K.O. McCarver's Quinn Hughes forever. Me too. Yeah, I, I love it too. It's it's awesome. And then you have guys like Miro Haskinen and Ivan Provorov who had really great playoffs as well. And Haskinen is still doing what he's doing. It's this new wave of young defensemen is just taking the NHL by storm. And I'm absolutely here for it. The NHL had their goalie wave. They had their forward wave where every year the first overall pick was this big big shot centerman named Stamkos, named Tavares, uh, McKinnon, all these guys, and Crosby, obviously, a few years before that. And now suddenly you have all these defensemen coming in, not even getting drafted first overall. Aaron Ekblad's the first overall pick, and he's nowhere close to the rest of these guys. Rasmus Dahlin is the first overall pick who's going to enter that picture. So it's pretty awesome, but like... Obviously, you know, the Avalanche are used to having a Tyson Berry. We've always had that kind of a guy, John Michael Lyles. But if Tyson Berry is, you know, his ceiling is what Mike Green was in Washington, Kale McCarr's ceiling is what Duncan Keith was in Chicago or Scott Niedermeyer in New Jersey and Anaheim. Like, it's a completely different player when you're comparing the two. Um, what's even more fascinating about Kale McCarr is that at this age, he's already, you know, on top of the fact that he's a well-rounded player that can play defense, he's already putting up points that Tyson Berry was putting up, you know, when he was established four or five, six years into his career. Makar's already doing that now, and he's just sort of dipping his toes into the sand. We saw what John Carlson did in Washington this year. We saw Roman Yossi and Victor Hedman, you know, leading, well, for Roman Yossi's case, leading his team in points and, you know, reaching 60, 70 points. What the hell's to say Kale Makar's not going to put up 75 to 85 points in the true prime of his career in two or three years from now? Like, it's the like the potential is endless with this guy and playing on a team with McKinnon and Rantanen like why not yeah last thing I wanted to touch on Makar we touched on the offense we touched on the defense well I want to get into the hockey IQ because again with being well-rounded you got to have that and he's above his age you know he's older than he is hockey IQ wise you can tell just you know when Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon come up to him and start telling him the play he's right on on the same page he's on board he knows exactly what they're saying you never have a moment of like Kale McCarr being uh lost you know what I mean aside from that little mess up play of on the uh, own goal there wasn't even fully his fault you rarely see him make a mental error and that you know again it just speaks volumes to the the ceiling that this guy has and it's going to keep growing and growing and he's going to continue to get better and continue to just blow our socks off and impress us pr impress us with the things he does for the next six seven years and then that's when he'll plateau and still be amazing yeah I mean this is only the beginning of what's to come he's only 21 years old and I I can't keep pushing that like to the forefront of the storyline about this guy and his career is that he is 21 years old. The only player that was actually as effective at this young of an age as a defenseman was Drew Doughty, who at 19 years old won the Olympic gold medal with Canada in 2010. But I can't help but think that this guy's 
ceiling is going to be above what Drew Doughty's best years ever were. And Drew Doughty, I'm not by any means taking away what that guy has done with the Kings and still continues to do at 30 years old. But if if Nathan McKinnon has been a special player for the last three years, I just can't wait to see what Kale McCarr is going to be because from a standard of defenseman, I think he's going to be even better than McKinnon as a centerman. And that's crazy to think. Right, assuming he stays healthy. I mean, they say... With but it's very much feasible, yeah. Yeah, with defensemen, they don't even come into their own and fully get comfortable until game 300. So, you know, remind me right around his 300th game... 82 to, games. He's only at 82 games right now. It's crazy. Let's take a snapshot of, of now, and, you know, hopefully we're still podcasting together once he's at his 300th game, and we can kind of compare and, and see how much he's grown and remember this conversation today. And all our listeners, too, hopefully they're still with us uh, once K.O. McCarr hits his 300th game. Again, he's got to stay healthy. That's the one part I'm a little bit nervous of his game is he seems a bit fragile. So I'll ask you this, uh, and I'm going to ask you the question this time. He's at 57 regular season games, 50 points. When he reaches 300 regular season games, do you think he'll have more than 300 points? Um, yeah, I, I think that's very possible, especially with the direction and the yeah. higher scoring NHL we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, he's only seven games behind uh, a point-per-game pace right now, seven points behind a point-per-game pace right now. So all he has to do is put up 250 points over the next 243 games. No biggie, he'll do it, right? Yeah, I mean, he'll get an expanded role too. That's the thing is he's still just kind of limited. You you pointed it out how he'll eventually start playing penalty kill and I think eventually start really getting leaned on for those heavy minutes. And that's that's when we're really going to see those points go up. And, you know, I, I love watching him. He's fun. I'm sure. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Yeah. And I mean, if the Avalanche go out and trade Nikita Zadorov this summer, maybe Ian Cole, maybe do something crazy with their defense. I can't help but think that McCarr will be killing penalties next year and he'll be, you know, his ice time is going to go up from the 19, 20, 21 range to the 24, 25, 26 that we saw in the playoffs, obviously because of the abs were decimated with injuries. But I can't help but think that that's probably going to start next year. And Jared Bender is going to say, let's let's take that next step for you and really turn you into a true number one Duncan Keith, Scott Niedermeyer, Scott Niedermeyer type of guy. Yeah, I'd be nervous hitting him again. It's the uh, staying healthy part that is is a little hesitant for me so giving him that much of a role that much ice time maybe maybe start him with pk2 for this year and then eventually expand to that bigger role because i think he's more important more uh valuable on the power play so let's let's lean his minutes more heavy towards that moving on it's time to get to nathan mckinnon getting snubbed not once but twice and then not to mention it's not the first time we've been in this in this uh I guess seat. So he loses both the heart and the Ted Lindsay. I'm a little bit shocked that he loses both. I thought he'd at least walk away with one, but even more shocking was the vote total. In my opinion, the fact that he only had 48 first place votes to dry sidles 91. Um, and it seemed like the majority of the pro hockey writers out there agreed that he was the second place, uh, heart trophy winner this year. So what's your take on that? I know it stings. I know it sucks to see again and, and it, it's not fun, but it, you know, it is what it is. What are you thinking about it? I, it should have been a lot closer than that. And so this is my take on it. And I've kind of been beating this drum on Twitter. People have been coming back at me. I tweeted something out about this and it really took off and a lot of people agreed with it, but a lot of people disagreed with it too. Um, and it's simply this. If you're going to vote for the MVP award based off of the standard that was set in 2018 when Taylor Hall beat McKinnon, then this is McKinnon's year, no doubt, no question, McKinnon should have won it. 
But if you're going to right the wrong of 2018 and give the award to the person and not overthink the most valuable player to his team, because it's never been that. I mean, let's let's just put this as an example. If next year McKinnon scores 120 points and Rantanen scores 105, and people start complaining about McKinnon had Rantanen, I'm going to be like, just go to hell and stop overthinking the award. McKinnon was the best player in the league this year. He deserves the award. With that being said, Drysaddle was the best player in the in the league this year. In my opinion, he deserves the award. If the NHL is using this year to right the wrong of what they did in 2018, which to me was the bullshit year, Taylor Hall winning it over McKinnon, then yes, this award deservedly so goes to Leon Drysaddle. The only problem is by making that mistake in 2018 and then righting that wrong in 2020, McKinnon went 0 for 2. He just got Marion Hosa, as I like to say. And that's that's not good. That is the part that stings. The part that bothers me is that now suddenly they've changed their tune from, oh, well, he had McDavid as a supporting cast and suddenly that doesn't matter. Taylor Hall didn't have a supporting cast. McKinnon had Ranton. And well, this year, McKinnon had basically nobody because everybody was injured. So all I'm saying is next year, the voting better not be about, oh, well, Claude Giroux had 90 points and the next guy had 40. Well, McKinnon had 120 points. You give it to the guy that had 120 points. Don't overthink this best player to his team. I know that's what the wording says, but I think they need to change that because it's never, ever truly been that. When Joe Sakic won the award in 2001, I know Twitter didn't exist, but we didn't sit there and be like, well, the Avalanche are stacked. There's no way Joe Sakic deserves this award. It's never been that. It never should be that. But it was that in 2018, and it screwed McKinnon out of an award. And this year, when he was in the Taylor Hall position, he lost, and that's what stings. Right, yeah. What I agree with most that you just said is just the, the, the hypocrisy behind the don't punish a player for having a good teammate theory, right? I mean, that's exactly what happened a couple years ago. Everybody said, well, Mc, he had Rantanen by his side, and it's obvious that McDavid's even though they play on different lines a lot of times, he's still there, and, and he uh, you know makes a big difference. And not to mention that they were not even close to where Colorado ended up in the standings. I mean, Avalanche ended second in the West. Edmonton barely only squeaked in because of the, the weird format here. Um, and then, uh, you know, the last point I want to make is just how much of an Ironman Nathan McKinnon has been for this team. I mean, he rarely misses games. He played 82 games, I think, a couple seasons in a row there. Um, and so yeah, that alone just shows how much he means to this team, because when he's not around, who knows what even happens? You, you know, I think it, it would be pretty detrimental. We only got to see a little bit of it. But, um, you know, he means way more to this team than I think any other player means to their team. And that's, I think, where they went wrong. And that's my biggest issue with it is that you have to be able to realize that I know the Avalanche just barely snuck into the playoffs also in 2018, but you gave the award to Taylor Hall for barely squeaking his team into the playoffs and losing to the new, to the Tampa Bay Lightning, who, by the way, are up 5-1, to one, who Dobin can go to hell. Uh, you... you Dang, I keep losing my train of thought because Tampa Bay keeps scoring goals. Uh, you gave the award to Taylor Hall for barely squeaking his team into the playoffs as the eighth seed and then losing in five games. Uh, this year, McKinnon didn't carry his team to just barely make the playoffs. He got them to one point back of the St. Louis Blues with a game in hand with the possibility of, let's face it, if the season continued, the Avalanche probably would have won the Western Conference, the regular season, I mean, in 82 games. And that, to me means more than 
anything. That to me means more than, oh, Dreisaitl had 110 points. Well, where did Edmonton finish in the standings? They couldn't win their division. It was a very weak division and they still, they could barely, you know, make it through. And then when they got to the playoffs, I know the voting happens before the playoffs, but when they got to the playoffs, they lost to the Chicago Blackhawks. So who was the more valuable guy to his team? Who was the one that carried his team more? It was Nathan McKinnon. But like I said, if you're going to right the wrong you made in 2018, well, then keep it that way and don't change this again next year. When uh, Dreisaitl gets hurt in November, well, not November, but in the first month of the season, God forbid, and McDavid goes out and puts 100 points up, but McKinnon puts up 120, you better give it to McKinnon. Give it to the guy who is the best player in the league not to the guy who's most valuable to his team because that's always been a weird thing. You can argue that Hellebuck should have won it this year because Winnipeg would have been last place in the league without him. I don't think the Avalanche would have been last without McKinnon. I don't think the Oilers would have been last without Dreisaitl. But Winnipeg truly probably would have been last place without Hellebuck. So we need to change that wording because it's never been that. And only recently, over the last three years, did somebody even read the wordage of the Hart Trophy and be like, oh, it's supposed to be to the most valuable to his team. That's never mattered. It shouldn't matter now. In my opinion, it's not the wording we need to change. Rather, who's voting for it? I want to circle back on that conversation that we lightly had on the last podcast and that's the fact that the pro hockey writers are writing for this in my opinion why are they writing for it you know in exclamations why the or voting for it excuse me why why are these guys the ones that are allowed to vote for it I mean it's gotten to the point where I don't even care because I know that the hockey writers are going to mess it up and I'm sure the players have gotten to that point too you know McKinnon's always saying how he doesn't care well probably that's a big reason for it because why would he care about what a bunch of hockey writers have to say you know I look around the press box and you know I think I see a lot of great writers that sit around us do I see a lot of great hockey minds not necessarily so the fact that these just because they're the guys that cover a team and are good at writing get to vote I don't know it, it bothers me you know and you know I have friends who are voting in the Pro Hockey Writers Association. So I'm not trying to insult them by any means. I just don't think the some of the most important trophies and what in the end of somebody's career really make up, you know, whether or not they're a Hall of Fame player the or, legacy, or their, yep. yeah, their legacy, you know, why that's at the hands of guys who, you know, and I hate to be this guy, but guys who can't even tie a pair of skates on their own feet, right? So they've never done it. They never will do it. And, and they just don't know the game like a, a lot of other people around the NHL do. Why is it the hockey writers? And I, that's my biggest issue too. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm happy that you brought that up because I looked through the voting of some of the professional hockey writers and, you know, where they place certain players and, a lot of it just upsets me that, you know, somebody in one city will pump his player up and bury the guy who's going up against him. It happened when Drew Doughty and Eric Carlson were up for the Norris a few years ago. Um, there was three or four voters in the Ontario area, one of them that covered the Ottawa Senators, that had Carlson won and Drew Doughty not even in the top five. And this was a year where it was a one-two race. It was kind of like the Calder this year with Quinn and Makar, uh, with Quinn Hughes and Makar. Imagine somebody from Vancouver voted Quinn Hughes number one and didn't even put Kel Makar in the top five. It's a clear, it's clear as manipulation. day what doing. It's yeah. manipulation. It's clear as day what they're doing there. And I've noticed that, I noticed that a lot yesterday. Uh, Dom LeCision of The Athletic left out a lot of big names from a lot of his awards. And he said, I'm not here to screw around and manipulate anything. Here's a 70 million word article because I work for The Athletic and that's what we do, explaining my votes. And I loved that. But for the most part, these guys, 
are not great hockey minds. They know some of them just barely, but they know the team they cover and only the team they cover. I take pride in being somebody that is very much well-rounded and follows the entire NHL. I'm a junior hockey nerd because I grew up watching junior hockey in Canada. I've been watching Nazem Kadri since he played for the London Knights when he was 16. I've been watching John Tavares since he was voted. He was he was given exceptional status to 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 play junior hockey at the age of 15. Connor McDavid, same thing. Sean Day, uh, all these guys. Uh, Sidney Crosby back in his Ramuski Oceanic day. So. I'm, I take pride in my well-rounded hockey uh, knowledge, and not a lot of people have that. And it upsets me that the voting has just become so oversaturated in that sense. There's 170 voters, and there should not be 170 voters. Who are they? Where are they coming from? I mean, look, look, me personally, you and I are sitting here. I write for Mile High Sports. I have been doing this for a year. Nobody really knows who I am. As much as I trust my ability to vote— a lot of hockey writers don't know who I am, and if my name was on the ballot, I did not have a vote. I am not part of the Professional Hockey Writers Association yet. I'm working on it, hopefully soon. But if I was given a vote and somebody like a Jeff Merrick or you know one of these big-shot journalists or broadcasters is going through the votes and sees my name and goes, who the heck is this guy? Then maybe I shouldn't be voting. Maybe the voting should be given to guys that make a name for themselves that really come out and and, and deserve a vote because – we're oversaturating it. And like you said, these are the votes that lead to what basically constitute if a player makes it to the Hall of Fame, if a player has a legacy when they retire. Adam Foote's never won a Norris Trophy because the NHL kind of got away from giving the trophy to guys like Rod Langway, who was a the best defensive defenseman in the NA, in probably NHL history and won the award. Scott Stevens, you know, wasn't winning Norris trophies because the NHL got away from that and started giving it to more offensive-minded centermen. Well, now Adam Foote's not in the Hall of Fame because of that, and it was because of voters. It should be the proper guys are the ones that are voting. Not everybody should get a vote, and definitely not 170 people. I could get behind that. I like the idea of a small group of established hockey minds that that get the control of this because you also got to think you know a, a lot of other markets especially in the south the floridas the nashvilles you know tampa bay uh even dallas you got to think of the career of a writer right you're not joining a hockey writing a lot of times because you love hockey you're joining it because you love writing and you got a degree in journalism and you wanted to be a writer and you know you started covering high school football and you suddenly got an opportunity to cover a hockey team in the NHL so you took it right not because you love the hockey but because you you're a writer and you know how to tell stories about sports so you know I, I gotta think that there's a handful of these pro hockey writers that are that guy never stepped foot on a sheet of ice but have been covering sports their whole life and have been writing you know I, I'm sure a couple names are popping in your head as I say that but I just think that you know th there has to be a better way I hate the fact that they're in charge of the Norris the Hart the Calder the Selkie the Lady Bing the Conn Smythe those are some of the biggest trophies in hockey and they're in charge by by in my opinion people who, who shouldn't be in charge of it you know, JJ, and this is something that, you know what, this is our podcast and I'm going to get into it because why the hell not? Uh, people who are listening know what Mile High Sports is and, you know, we're a big shot uh, 
news media, digital media website in the Denver area, but we're ultimately not the most well-known. People like you and I, when we work here, the goal, if we want to make a future in this, is to have Mile High Sports be a stepping stone. We all remember your good friend, Ryan Bolding. He worked for Mile High Sports. He was in the position that I'm in now, the head avalanche writer recovering this team. Suddenly, he was working for the Colorado Avalanche. Suddenly, he got an opportunity for The Athletic. Now, suddenly, he has his own radio show. You use Mile High Sports as a stepping stone. Me being in this position as a stepping stone, working at Mile High Sports, I'm one season deep. And, you know, everybody who knows me, you don't even really have to know me. You just have to follow me, know that I have bigger and better plans for my future. I want to one day be the biggest and best Colorado Avalanche reporter there is. That's my goal. It's been my call since I was a kid living in Toronto, in Windsor, eventually Detroit. This is where I want to be. Eventually, my goal is to go back to Toronto someday and work in broadcast, you know, sit at a table with a Chris Johnston or an Elliot Friedman. I have goals and, you know, a passion for this and a vision that is far beyond where I am now. With that being said, there is far too many journalists in this industry that I have had conversations with about what a proper or what a good journalist needs to have. And nobody ever mentions the passion for hockey. And I hate that. I live in Denver and I cover the Colorado Avalanche because I've been watching this team since I was like four, if not younger. I live in Denver and I cover the Colorado Avalanche because I want to cover the Colorado Avalanche, not because I want to live in Denver. I'm, you know, living in Denver and having the mountains is all a bonus. But I am here because I know this team from head to toe. I can list back every roster, every year, every trade. I know the history. I know everything there is to know about this team. And you can never put a value on that. You can never put a value on bringing guys into markets that have the knowledge of that team and that market. It's history and the passion to build the writing experience. And it's the same thing for NHL journalists. You shouldn't be a professional hockey writer because you're a professional writer. You should be a professional hockey writer because you're a professional writer and you have a deep passion for hockey. If those two things come together and you're one of those guys, then yes, you should be voting. But if you're only one of those two and you're a good writer, that does not make you a good hockey writer and that does not make you a good professional hockey writer. You are nothing but a good journalist, which is a great talent to have, but that is the learned part. The passion is not learned. I have the passion for hockey. I am learning the writing aspect. It's why I went to school. That's what my mentors are pushing into my brain. Once I have that, I am well-rounded. But you cannot teach the passion. You either have it or you don't. And that's, that's what I got from hearing your, 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 your rant right now about these professional hockey writers. And that's the biggest issue I have with this industry. And on top of that, you know, the, that, that's the bigger issue. But the issue at hand that we're discussing is if you're voting, you need to know your shit. And not all the voters know their shit. And that is a problem. Yeah, and you also have to, you know, commit the time to doing your research to knowing your shit. And then also exactly. you have to maybe take some sort of oath or sign some sort of, you know, s some sort of form saying that you're going to do it unbiasedly. Because, you know, the fact that you said that there are some people sandbagging the votes just to hurt the the point totals of, of the votes of, of any player is, is complete garbage. And it's a complete mistreatment of the whole system so you know i mean broadcasters get to vote for the jack adams award like mark messier has his own trophy that he gets to vote for like these just don't make any sense in my mind who why they're picking these people to vote for these important trophies you need to have uh, um i guess more 
uh, structure to that, more credibility, because right now it's hurting. And like I said earlier, it's gotten to the point where I don't even take them seriously. And if I'm a player, I don't take them seriously either. And I'm more after those objective awards like the Rocket Richard or the Art Ross. And, you know, I, I obviously want to put some stock into the Vesna since that's the GM's vote. But the problem there's a problem with that. The problem is we grew up with these awards being the prestigious awards that they are. It's social media and, and the new digital media age that has exposed how these awards are voted for. But if you're a Nathan McKinnon and you're a kid and you see guys like Yermer Yager and Dominic Hasek and Joe Sackick and Peter Forsberg winning these awards, in your mind, it's one day I want to grow up and I want to win this award. And nobody can ever say to me that Nathan McKinnon isn't sitting at home right now going, what the hell do I have to do to win one of these damn things? And it's the truth behind Part it. Part of me thinks he's sitting at home being like, yeah, these hockey writers don't know anything again. I need to go after the trophies and I need to focus on the accolades that I can control because these guys are idiots and don't know anything. That's what I think he's thinking. But at the same time, as much as he can't control it, in his mind, he's still saying, like, this is bullshit. How am I going to retire? Not that he's going to retire without one. The guy's going to have two or three to his name. I promise you that. But he's thinking to himself, I'm going to retire one day, and I'm going to sit back and think to, to young Nathan McKinnon, young Lil Nate, as we like to call him, Nate Dog, and I'm going to sit there and be like, I don't have any heart trophy votes, even though when I was eight, nine years old, that was one of my dreams because I didn't do enough for voters. And then he's going to say, I could have controlled that. But that's the thing. It's 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 these awards and these things that matter so much are in the hands of people that are sometimes not giving it the respect it deserves. And it's concerning, it's disgusting, and it's not okay. And I'm not just saying this for Nathan McKinnon's sake. It's the same exact thing for that Eric Carlson and Drew Doughty Norris trophy a few years ago. Why the hell are you trying to skew the votes to give it to your guy? That's not why you were chosen to be part of this exclusive group of voters that get to do what anybody would dream to be able to do. I feel like that happens a lot in society. You're a young kid and you think this is what you want or, you know, X is going to be this way when you grow up and then you actually grow up and see the ins and outs of it and you see how the sausage is made and you completely get disheartened. It's a, it's a sad fact, but it happens and I think that's kind of what it is here. Like, yeah, he probably grew up wanting to to win a heart trophy but now that he's here and realizes how the sausage is made he's like yeah i don't i don't even know if i want any part of it i'm sure deep down he's like yeah what do i got to do to earn one of these and it sucks that at the end of his career he's going to look back and realize he got snubbed twice and should have two more heart trophies but as long as he wins the ones that he can control i think he'll be perfectly happy with his career at the end of the day yeah and um with that all being said, I still think he's going to win a heart trophy or two or three or four or something crazy like that. Uh, but he could have five or six or seven. You know yeah, what I, mean? I know. That's that's a whole other story. It's still kind of crazy to me that someone like Mike, Back, Mike Babcock never won, a, never won a Jack Adams in his years in Detroit. Uh, people are not going to like this. Babcock and the Red Wings in 2014, he deserved that award way more than PDO man Patrick Waugh. He deserved it way more than that guy. Uh, Sidney Crosby, I think he only has one heart, maybe two. I think he's got two, 07 and 14, and that's a little weird to me. Connor McDavid's only got one now. Obviously, there's only one of these awards to give out every year, and I just listed a lot of names, but it is upsetting. Um, I will tell you one it's place. Bogus. It's bogus. And one of the places where the Avalanche have not been snubbed is the Calder Trophy. Uh, here are some cool numbers for you. Uh, the Avalanche have four Calder trophies since the team came to Denver in 96. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you name the four? 
Landis Cog, McKinnon, and Drury. Yes, and Kale McCarr. Cool. So you got the four. Those four since 95 are the most of any team. So the Avalanche have the most Calder trophies since they entered the league. I'll take it a step further. When the Quebec Nordiques entered the league in 79-80, the Avalanche and Nordiques franchise has six Calder trophies, and those six are also tops in the NHL among all the teams since 1980. On top of Drury, Landeskog, McKinnon, and McCarr, do you know who any of the other two guys that won it with the Nordiques are? Uh, if I want to sit here and think all day, is one, one of, the, of them Michel Goulet? No, one of them is Peter Forsberg in 1995. So there's another year. And then in 1981, uh, our good friend Polly Walnuts, his father, Peter Stastny. So that's a really cool number to me that the Avalanche organization itself has four Calder trophies. And then just the year before that, Peter Forsberg won it. 15 years before that, Peter Stastny won it. No team or franchise has more nor uh calder trophies than the avalanche and the avalanche nordique franchise that's a cool number that's something to sort of give a breath of fresh air on this negative talk that we've been having about mckinnon losing the damn heart every year i've got some off-air homework for us i'd be curious to see how many teams especially stanley cup winning teams have had three calder winning te- players on the exact same team and that's what's really special about this guys hmm. mckinnon landeskog mccarr are all playing on the same team and will be for the foreseeable future i'd love to see you know other teams that have had that yeah even if it was someone that was traded later like let's say the avalanche signed tyler myers last year for some reason that could have been another one because myers obviously beat out duchene and Tavares that one year uh that's a really cool stat i'm really curious about that Thanks. I've been coming up with a few good ones here and there lately. I haven't been doing any. Much like school, I'm not doing any of the homework. Yeah, you keep giving us homework and we don't really do it. And then we'll eventually realize we talked about something that we didn't really do. Uh, but you know what? I, I like that. That's that's a really cool number. And uh, I'm really interested to see how many of those guys the Avalanche or how many other teams I've ever had with the Avalanche have right now. I think deep down inside me, I'm hoping one of the listeners is intrigued enough to go do the research and then tell us. I would lazy. be thoroughly impressed and whoever does you will get a shout out on like <laughs> the next 10 podcasts because that would be amazing before we move on guys I got to tell you about DraftKings Sportsbook week two of football is in the books and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three there's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook America's top rated sportsbook app and to add to the excitement of week three, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing back their can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store right now because you don't want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to turn $1 into $100 when they bet on any team. That's right, you can place $1 bet on any team, and if that team wins, you cash out a cool Benjamin. How could you pass that up? Don't worry, if football isn't for you... DraftKings is giving all you MMA fans the same great offer to use this weekend for UFC 253. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sports app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Pick any team during Week 3, bet $1 on them, and win $100 if they win. That's $1. To win $100 when you use promo code MHS during sign-up. For a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. And you must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. 
I hit a 10-team parlay last week, Arif. All NFL. No I don't even know much about the NFL, but I hit a 10-team parlay, what? and it was at the buzzer. Had I lost that parlay, my account would have been at $0. I hit that parlay, and suddenly I'm back in the game. I loved it. Loved it. I didn't do anything crazy. I just you I just ha- took all the favorites. It's not that I know anything about the NFL. Yeah, but 10 10 team parlay is still pretty impressive and like you have to have won a, you had to have won a lot of money on that kind of a parlay even if you bet 25 cents or some crazy small number. Yeah, I think it was a plus 18,000 some somewhere around there. So I put like 250 on it and walked away with about 60. What? Two dollars and fifty cents. Two dollars and fifty cents. Jesus, yeah, I, don't bet I thought like you, you meant. You're the Holy one that shit. bets the hundos and two hundos. I stick to the, I th- to between zero I th- and twenty. I thought you were bets. saying two hundred and fifty dollars. I'm like, did this dude just walk away you with think- fifty thousand dollars? And you're doing a podcast with me on Mile High Sports? Right. Exactly. I'd be in Hawaii right now if that. Jeez, were the case. you would have bought your own plane to go to Hawaii because coronavirus. Wow. <laughs> You scared me for a second there. All right, let's Sorry. move it on. Now Ooh. it's not nearly as cool. Way to, way to rain all over my parade. Oh, Moving on, I wanted to touch on, I'm not sure if you got the chance to read Emily Kaplan's article on ESPN, but it was the anonymous um, a group of players anonymously came out and kind of just spilled the beans on their whole opinion of the way the NHL ran the bubble. And they weren't exactly words of flattery i would say it's disappointing to hear that the players were i guess sold something that they didn't get but at the same time it's not surprising to to see the nhl pull this kind of snake in the grass move i mean i did read it but it's just it's one of those things where i'm not going to back the league the last thing i'm ever going to do is back the nhl on anything they do because i don't want to be that person but it was a no-win situation for them. In order for hockey to happen, there was going to have to be sacrifices made. There was going to have to be promises broken. There was going to have to be things that are not comfortable and things that are not what people are used to. And I'm also never going to be that guy that says, well, hockey players are millionaires. They need to stop complaining because I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you make. Your mental health and your well-being are more important than any dollar sign. Uh, Even JJ's $2.50 that he was so valiant uh, to put on a 10-team parlay. God, you're out of your mind. You could have won so much money if you just (laughs) put a little bit more. You know what? That's a story for another day. But that's exactly like that's the thing is that I'm, I'm not going to be the guy that always gives compliments to the league, but I'm also not going to be the guy that says players need to stop complaining. I'm going to find somewhere in the middle right now and say that this was a no-win no situation for the league. It was a no-win situation for the players. And ever since the conversations that the return to play committee was having back in June, July, when you and I kept sort of bouncing these ideas off each other and saying, is hockey even going to happen? We kept coming back to the point that the NHL and the Players Association were coming together and, and and having these negotiations based off the fact that I don't want to be here, you don't want to be here, none of us want to be here, but we have to find a way to make this work even though it's going to suck. And that's kind of the feeling that I got after reading Emily Kaplan's article is that it reaffirmed everything that I thought this bubble was going to be. And uh, I'll tell you a story about, uh, to, to add on top of that with the avalanche, uh, our, our boss man, Nate Lundy, was at, uh, he was at Joe Sackick's golf tournament. And Joe Sackick told him, we got home that night after we lost game seven. And he said, as soon as our plane touched down in Denver and we stopped at the gate and the ding noise came on to basically say we have landed and, you know, what us normal people would know as your seatbelts can come off, but they were probably on a nice chartered flight. As soon as that ding noise came on, 
after we had landed in Denver, Joe says you can hear a collective exhale on the entire plane from the staff to the coaches, to the players, to the media. Everybody on that flight was kind of like, we're home. And the avalanche came back September 7 after leaving June 26. These other, well, not even September 7, I think it was September 4. These other teams have been there and are still there, like Tampa Bay and Dallas. They're going on two months. This isn't easy for anybody. And what I got from that article reaffirmed exactly that. It was going to be a no-win situation for the players, a no-win situation for the league, but it was something that everybody had to stomach in order to make this work. Last week when we had the Miko ranting and social media moment of the week of him just having a fun time playing tennis and doing <laughs> that goofy serve, that's kind of the point I want. I meant to vocalize. The words didn't come out of my brain the right way. Surprised there. Um, but that's kind of where I wanted to go with it is that it just was nice to see him happy because, you know, he probably it, it just felt like they were confined and they couldn't have much freedom. It's just nice for him to go out and be able to do things and enjoy it something as simple as playing tennis which they weren't able to do you know so that's kind of why, why I wanted to do that social media in the moment of the week and I, I really dropped the ball there on on vocalizing myself there but I, I what I ha am most uncomfortable with is just it, it really feels like the NHL dangled a carrot that they knew they weren't going to deliver on but did so anyway just to get the players feeling good about going and and on board once they kind of had them in they locked that gate behind him and said, uh, yeah, sorry, I guess you're not going to be golfing as much as you thought you were or, you know, the fly fishing joke that Emily kept bringing up. Um, so I, I just I'm uncomfortable with that part of it. Yeah, I get that logistically and um, realistically it was going to be hard to put all of that together. But the fact that they said that they would do it and in all likelihood didn't have any plans to even make it happen. Possibly, maybe their plans change because of the virus. Maybe they are laughing and going, I can't believe they signed off on this. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it could have been that. But in the end, like like I said, I, I the reason why Emily Kaplan's article doesn't by any means surprise me. By the way, if you haven't read this, please go find Emily Kaplan on Twitter or go to ESPN.com and read it. This is an exceptional piece of writing. Um, but the reason why that article did not surprise me to the least bit i mean some of the details do surprise you but the nhl wasn't going to pull off this bubble tournament and then come out of it and have an article written about how amazing it was that was never going to be the case stories like what joe sackick said about that collective exhale on the airplane that was always going to be what was what was said and what happens the Dallas Stars and the Tampa Bay Lightning are playing game, game three right now. Tampa Bay's up five to one. Haha, <laughs> suck it, Dallas. Uh, they're, they're, they're probably going to win this game. They're going to take a two to one series lead. Whether you want to cheer for Dallas or not, and you want to cheer for Tampa Bay or not, one of these two teams are going to lose. And I feel the absolute worst for that team because they would have spent 60 something days in the bubble and still came away empty handed, just like Toronto or Florida, or any of the teams that were eliminated six weeks ago. That's going to sting the most. This was never going to be a situation where we were going to come out of the bubble and have talks of people raving about how awesome the experience was, nor was it going to be anything where it was like, oh, I wish we could do that again. Uh, absolutely not, but that's why the article doesn't surprise me. A, lot of, a little bit of the details kind of do. Uh, it does feel a little snakish on the NHL's part, but... Man, it, it's it's hard to really 
you know formulate an opinion on this it's just it's a it's a no-win situation it's it's what life is now it's one of the many sacrifices that a lot of people are making and it's it's just a weird time it's 2020 it's a pandemic it's it's nothing that we ever had planned for I'm also curious about the anonymity part of the article. I wonder if this was the NBA or the NFL, if the players would come out anonymously. I feel like that's a very NHL move that the players don't want to yeah, be known as bashing the guy that bashed the <laughs> NHL. When in all reality, yep, who cares? Spot tell, on. tell it like it is. NBA players are a lot more open to criticism than NHL players are. You know what? Let me give you a nice uh, comparison to that because we just mentioned it maybe 30 minutes ago. Leon Dreisaitl had how many votes? 91 first place votes and McKinnon 48. Did we see a press conference of Nathan McKinnon speaking in front of media saying, how does there 170 voters and only 48 of you idiots voted me first place? That's a disgrace. That pisses me off. Did, did that conversation happen? Man, it'd be awesome if it did. Okay. Do you know what I'm referring to? LeBron James. LeBron James. Thank you. LeBron James came out and said, I can't believe only 16 people gave me a first place vote. Not not to take away from Giannis and the season he had. And Giannis had an amazing season, the friggin' Greek god that he is. But he said, that pisses me off. 16 votes, that pisses me off. And he kept repeating it. And I know a lot of our listeners are probably going to be like, screw that guy because he's LeBron. A lot of people hate him. And he's playing the Denver Nuggets right now. But... I would love to see that. LeBron James knows that he can go out and say something like that, and he doesn't care even the least bit what anybody's going to say about him. And I wish we had more hockey players that had that kind of a mentality and would come out not in anonymity and really speak out on matters like this and be able to say, if you're, you're going to give me flack for it, go right ahead. I'm Nathan McKinnon. Who the hell are you? And why would your opinion ever matter to me? Yeah, you're right. And then uh, last thing on that article I thought was intriguing was the fact that they even asked about the drug use. How were the drugs in there? And yep. they were basically saying there weren't many drugs going on except for some edibles, some cannabis gummies, stuff like that. I, I, I'd like to think that the Colorado Avalanche players were behind that, distributing the edibles that they maybe smuggled over. That'd be <laughs> awesome. But, you know, just speculating, of course. I can't uh, say anything but that. You know, that that joke is funny and probably would have been a lot funnier five years ago. But a lot of places now are are legal. It's you know one of them being the entire freaking nation of Canada. That's true. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 a it was a it was a really well put together article, and I love that everything was asked about. Yeah, it's it's also interesting how it seemed. It really felt like there's a acceptance of the edibles, right? It seems like it's very common in the NHL, and no, nobody's really looking their nose down upon people using edible marijuana hey i mean it, that's that's not the most insane thing you could be doing nowadays and you know if it's legal go right ahead before we get out of here you know you've been talking about it throughout the entirety of this podcast but the stanley cup series that's going on right now um anything of note in in your opinion i'll start with uh just the fact that steven stamkos was supposed to be back in the lineup tonight. It seemed like it started uh, created a little bit of a spark within the the Lightning, but sometimes it's really dangerous to put a top six player right back in the lineup, especially after they've experienced so much success. So, I was really curious to see how that panned out. It seemed like he uh, didn't get to skate too much in this game. He only got a couple shifts and then reheard himself, which is sad to see. You hate to see his team finally really be the promising winner for the Stanley Cup, and he's not a part of it. You know what, man? He came out. He scored a goal. His 
His name will always be etched in the 2020 Stanley Cup final as I scored a damn goal. And right now it stands, I hope Dallas doesn't score another goal because right now it stands as the game winner and I hope it stays that way. If if Stamkos can't play another game in the series and if Tampa Bay does what I hope they do and win the series, he can at least say I scored the game winner in game two and I only played four minutes this entire series and I still did that. That would be cool. It just- it, it reminds me of how painful it was to watch Peter Forsberg skate the cup around in sweatpants and just like, man, if only you yeah. were a part of this series, this would have been such a better series. And you, I don't know, it just, it, there's part of you that just hurts for the yeah. player. Yeah, if there was anything, and now we're going to get off topic a little bit, if there was anything that I wish I could do that, you know, is impossible to do was to warp back in time and be able to cover Peter Forsberg's career because that is something that I wish I was an adult for and that is something that I wish I was a journalist and got to see unravel and unfold in front of my eyes because that is still, to me, the most fascinating hockey player the NHL has ever seen is Peter Forsberg and the career he had and how it all unfolded. Uh, but for Steven Stamkos' case, like, man, the guy has played a lot of games. His, he's already passed Peter Forsberg in career games and things like that, but... It's just crazy the the luck this guy has had in the in the two years ago when Washington and Tampa Bay made it to a game seven in the third round he was injured for nearly that entire series uh, in 2015 he dealt with an injury in 2014 he skated towards the net crashed into the net and broke his leg snapped his leg in half three months before Canada won a gold medal at the Olympics which he was not a part of and his teammate Marty St. Louis had to like his luck has just been terrible with those kind of things uh but I hope he can find solace in being able to play that period and score that goal um we're saying this not even knowing if he's going to play again I still think he's going to play again I think at one point or another I think you know halfway through the second period he came back on the bench and I still think he could have played if it wasn't for the fact that his team was up five to one and outshot Dallas 21 to four in the second period uh but maybe now it's just like you know what let's sit you out the rest of this and let's get you ready for game four uh whether that's the case or not game four and game five are also back to back Friday and Saturday so if Tampa Bay closes out this game they could very well have the cup by Saturday um which I hate because it's it's worked out nicely with the Nuggets (laughs) <laughs> the the hockey is one night, then the Nuggets are yeah, the other night. But I I mean I, I I understand why the NHL did what they did with this because they got Friday, Saturday, and then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and they wanted to make sure they avoided Sundays for obvious reasons. And I don't blame them because last Sunday didn't go too well, and uh, they're better off not playing on a Sunday. Well, that. Uh, is all we got on the docket. Time to wrap it up with the, our usual wrap-up here. So it's time to get to Arif Dean's social media highlight of the week. It has a different name every week. I messed that up again. The fan highlight. Yeah. The Twitter fan highlight. Yeah. That's what I think we're going to go with. And uh, this is going to take me a second to pull up because I got to do a little bit of scrolling. But I tweeted something out yesterday. Thank you to my listeners and my fans for for jumping on board with this tweet because um it took off uh over 600 was it a record breaker breaker for you i think so 611 likes 90 retweets i'm pretty sure that's a not not from the retweets but from the likes i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure that was a record in terms of likes now in regards to the tweet um let me pull it up right here i see i'm trying to buy time because i'm waiting for my twitter to load there we go so the tweet that i tweeted was Avs Nathan McKinnon loses the 2020 Hart Trophy despite doing what Taylor Hall did in 2018 to beat him out for the same award. 
Dreisaitl won the award for doing what a 2018 McKinnon did. Does that all make sense? Because McKinnon going 0 for 2 is some kind of nonsense, but expected. Obviously, we discussed that in length about 30, 45 minutes ago. Uh, the tweet that I think is a great uh, Twitter fan highlight for this week is at Derf Zuki, D-E-R-F-Z-U-K-I. And he goes, in my opinion, I think people got confused that this is an MVP award and not the Art Ross. Just looking at the stat sheet, it's obvious that if McKinnon wasn't there, Colorado wouldn't have made the playoffs this year, which Edmonton still had McDavid with 97 points, just saying. And then the the most prevalent part of this tweet is that he pulled up the 2018 Devil stats and the 2020 Avalanche stats, and it's literally identical. Nathan McKinnon and Taylor Hall led their teams with with 93 points. Everybody made a big deal about Nico Heischer having 52 in second place. Well, this year's second place was Kale McCarr with 50. Third place, Burakovsky had 45. The year that Hall won it, Palmieri had 44. Fourth place, Landeskog had 44. Will Butcher was in fourth place for the Devils. He had 44. Fifth place, Rantanen, 43. Fifth place, Maroon, 43. Top six, Kadri, 36. Top six, Michael Grabner, 36. The stats are literally identical, give or take one or two points between Hisher and, and, and Makar. But that pretty much says all uh, and, and pretty much uh, it, it says everything that I was saying earlier where if you were going to give it to Hall in 2018, McKinnon deserved it for putting up those kinds of stats. But it also mentioned at the top of the tweet that I think people forget this is not the Art Ross. It's the MVP and it's the player most uh, uh, valuable to his team. That's the part that I've been hammering away at this entire episode that needs to change. Yeah, I love that point. Love that that tweet from uh, – what was his name again? That was kind of Durf, complex. Durf Zuki. Durf Zuki. At Durf Zuki. So shout out to him. Shout out to him. Thanks for tweeting at us. We love the Twitter highlight of the week. That brings us to the social media moment of the week. And this one's actually not going to Nazem Kadri, who I think was the early favorite for his hardware store picture uh, with Kale McCarthy. <laughs> that, was, that was great. But rather we're I love going that to uh, Gabe Landeskog, who kind of uh, made his opinion heard on the uh, Nathan McKinnon situation. Yeah, so he tweeted out a picture of himself and Nathan McKinnon. He's kind of... Looks like he's whispering into Nathan McKinnon's ear before a face-off discussing a play. And he captioned it with just that one emoji that has like the zipper closed mouth, like the I'm not saying anything. And the most notable comment on there comes from one Nikita Zadorov, who may or may not be a teammate of these two fine gentlemen by this time next year or by opening night, whenever the heck that happens. And... Zadorov's comment is just three facepalm emojis in a row, basically saying exactly what Landeskog is saying is you're sleeping on Nate. You're sleeping on this guy. How do you do this to him again? And you just know deep down inside that Nathan McKinnon that night and maybe still a little bit now is sitting at his home saying, you're not going to vote me again. All right. Well, I'll show you. And the 2020-21 version of Nathan McKinnon is going to unleash hell on the National Hockey League. There's more to uh, the players kind of being afraid to really vocalize themselves, right? He's keeping his lips sealed. He doesn't want to make his opinion heard, probably because he doesn't want to insult Leon Dreisaitl. He doesn't want anybody to take it the wrong way and think that he says Leon Dreisaitl isn't deserving of this champion or of this trophy. But 
Um, I wish he could kind of come out and say that, you know, come out and say exactly what you just said and said, this is the one that should have won it. You guys messed up, but it is what it is, right? That's just the, the NHL we live in. Yeah, it's, uh, but you know what? I'll take this over anything right now. It's, it's great that Gabe Landeskog is making his opinions heard. Uh, Landeskog was very open. What was the thing that Landeskog was complaining about throughout the series? Uh, the referees, there was something with the referees in one of the games where Landis God came out and really bashed the referees in that game against Dallas. And then, uh, you know, he's, he's never been afraid to really, he's kind of come out of his shell and has not been afraid to, to come out and, and give his opinion on things, even if it's not something that a hockey player usually does. This was just a little brief, uh, you know, dip into the sand of what a hockey player could eventually do in terms of, you know, letting their opinions be heard. But just with that one emoji, it said all you need to hear. It was, you know what? I'm going to keep my mouth shut. You're sleeping on Nate. I don't know how you guys cannot vote for this guy, and he's going to make you pay. It's just going to make, once they do win these awards, they win the heart, they win the cup, it's just going to be that much sweeter, right? All the uh, the yeah, the hurdles they've had to overcome. But look at us running long. We've been, our, but our, our, you know what? what? I I I I have to sh- I have to shout out the Kadri thing. He tweeted he tweeted Kel McCarr saying more hardware to come. Congrats, kid! And it was a video of him and him and uh, him and McCarr celebrating a goal together. None of that means anything. Whatever. That's just a teammate, you know, giving another teammate appreciation. But he freaking tagged the location as the hardware store. Just a beautiful move. <laughs> Love it. Uh, that was our second place uh, and, and first place for a very long time for who was going to be the social media moment of the week. But, you know, we went with Landeskog, but we still want to shout out Kadri for that. Right. It was more appropriate. But, yeah, I feel like our, our off-season podcasts, for some reason, are going a lot longer than our podcasts that were in the middle of the playoffs. So what's up with that? But either way, time to wrap it up. It's what the people want. We're going long here. Um, of course, we're just going to go ahead and give Kale McCarr all three of the Mile High Sports three stars of the week so shout out number eight before we get out of here any last thing you i feel like you got a lot off your chest today so you might not have anything left in the tank i did thank you guys for listening if you got this far to all of my blabbing about the professional hockey writers association i threw out a lot of sh words uh i kind of have been a little bit grumpy with this episode but yes i got a lot off my chest we're gonna end it here uh, and you guys are going to see a lot more from us in the near future. Uh, we'll see if maybe we'll get another one out before then. But next Tuesday, we have a very, very uh, special NHL draft preview podcast coming out. Um, I'll give one extra detail. We're going to have a guest join us. You guys will love this guest. It's going to be all pod. It's going to be an entire episode about the upcoming draft, which will be the week after that. And we're going to preview the Avalanche, who they might select. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you guys can wait and look out for that one. Yep, that's a good moment to end on. So that being said, don't forget to download download DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Follow us on Twitter at RunWriteArif, at JJ of the Year. For Arif, I'm JJ. Hockey's for everyone, and we out you.